On the fourth Sunday of Easter, every year, we reflect on the image of Jesus as the Good Shepherd. And I will admit to you this morning, this always leaves me in a bit of a bind, because I know almost nothing about shepherding or sheep. I mean, I am worse than ignorant. But with that said, I've never let a little thing like ignorance stop me from preaching before, so (laughs) here we go again. So with this in mind, I want to admit to you, I do not know what I'm talking about. Someone at the 8 o'clock reminded me, and because they raise sheep, that I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But here's what I do know about sheep, or what I think I know. I, I learned everything I think I know about sheep from a cute little children's book that I used to read to my boys called Our Friends at Maple Hill Farm. In this book, Maple Hill Farm has all sorts of animals. It has horses and cows and geese and chickens, and of course, it has sheep. The book is is wonderful. It is a hoot. But it confirms all of my negative stereotypes about sheep. For instance, the first thing the book tells us is that, quote, sheep are silly. (laughs) So silly, we are told, that the geese on the farm cannot be blamed for chasing them and pinching their heels. (laughs) Now, the book's primary reason for telling us that the sheep are silly, or why this is so, is because they are simply not very clever, even if there is something sweet about them. The sheep on the farm almost all uh, act alike and look alike. They do all the same things at the same time, and they do them all together. The reader is told, sheep eat together, sheep sleep together, and when they are lost, sheep bleat together. All but one. And we are told that the one is the best sheep. One is named Old Eleven. Now, Old Eleven is clever. Unlike the other sheep, she doesn't get lost, and she can always find her way home, and she can always find her way through the gate. And in this way, Old Eleven stands out. But of course, what sets Old Eleven apart is that she is not like the other sheep. Indeed, she is not sheep-like at all. Silliness is what we expect of sheep. And because this is so, I think it's fair to say that we don't think much of sheep. Most children do not spend time pretending to be sheep, for instance. (laughs) Nobody ever has had a sheep as a spirit animal. (laughs) None of you. Sometimes, folks make fun of other people who seem to either be uninformed or who differ from their own political persuasions by calling these folks sheeple, right? We've heard this. And because we do not think much of sheep, I wonder, I wonder how this recurring image from Scripture of of God or Jesus as shepherd and us as sheep 
sounds to our ears. For instance, the image is used extensively in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, from which we heard this morning. But there are many examples from both the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament that draw on this image of our sheep-like nature in need of a divine shepherd. And of course, the well-known and beloved psalm that we sang this morning, Psalm 23, begins by proclaiming, the Lord is my shepherd. But let's admit that this clashes with our cultural self-image of ourselves. Because culturally speaking, we value independence and self-reliance. We value being unique. We value being set apart. We generally want to stand out from the crowd. We, we celebrate the clever ones in our culture, the ones who are different. We hope that our children will rise above the herd and go to the best schools so that they can get the best jobs and, of course, theoretically have the most happy and fulfilled lives. We don't want to be sheep. We look down on sheep. But, of course, this is ironic, right? Because this is the consensus position in our culture. We all share it in common. <laughs> we all look down on sheep in a very sheep-like way. <laughs> And I think that when we are honest with ourselves, that in many ways we know that we are like sheep. We care about what our neighbors care about. We value what our neighbors value. We, we want what our neighbors want. And what's more, if we're honest, we know we need guidance. We know that we don't know where the green pastures are. We live our lives looking to follow voices that will tell us where we can find happiness and meaning and fulfillment. We want to listen for voices that will tell us that they can solve our problems and make the, the pain and confusion of our lives go away, it, or at least make that pain and confusion manageable. And because this is so, there are countless voices clamoring to get to us to tell us how we ought to think or how we ought to behave or how we ought to vote or what we are to buy or how we are to spend our time. These voices tell us that they can make all of the pieces fit if we only but listen. And as such, we really cannot help being what we are. For all of our autonomy and for all of our independence, we are still formed and shaped by our interdependence with one another. For all of our critical thinking, for all of our independent thought, we still need to be led and we still need a guide. The decision is not whether we will accept guidance or not, for we cannot help but receive guidance, and we cannot help but follow. Rather, the decision is who will, be our guide, who will be our guide, and where will we be led? 
If we're discerning, if we but listen, then I think that we know the voice that we are to follow. It is not a voice that will give us easy answers or quick fixes. This voice calls on us to take up our cross and follow. This voice tells us that only those who lose their lives will find them. This voice calls on us to follow a path of self-giving love that will not always bring easy happiness, but rather often make us vulnerable and often make us exposed. This voice promises us joy. This voice promises us abundant life and indeed promises us eternal life but also tells us these will only come by way of a path that entails self-surrender. In our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus is speaking with the religious authorities, which the gospel of John, I think unhelpfully to our ears, calls the Jews. Among other things, Jesus declares to these authorities, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Elsewhere in this same chapter, Jesus compares himself to a shepherd who calls each of his sheep by name. He leads them, and he guides them. Jesus goes ahead of them, and they follow because they know his voice. Our task in life is to open our ears and to follow the voice of love that Jesus embodies. Jesus is the good shepherd who will lead us and guide us. To follow that voice is to already participate in eternal life. For eternal life is not just something that will be ours after we die, but is something to be lived into in the here and now as we follow Jesus by loving our fellow human beings as Jesus loves us. The Lord is our shepherd. When we come to embrace this, and we will discover that what we truly long for is found only in God. It is with God that we shall not want. It is God who will make us lie down in green pastures and lead us beside still waters. We will discover that it is God who is always present with us, even in the darkest and most horrible moments of our lives, even in the valley of the shadow of death. And we will discover that God will lead us out and prepare a space for us at God's banquet table, even in the midst of our enemies. God will anoint our heads with oil as our cup overflows. The Lord is our shepherd. Open your ears and eyes. Open your heart and mind to the one who calls you by name and promises to always be with you. For surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen.